baptism of the Holy Ghost. Didn't really know what it was and didn't know how to explain it to anybody. And so he's lived his entire life searching the scriptures, found his way to the book of Acts and found a connection there. But this is his first time because he would tell people his experience and they would say, well, that sounds like Pentecostal. But he's never actually been to a Pentecostal service. Tonight's his first Pentecostal service. <laughs> Man, that's, uh, that's really a God thing. So somebody make sure that you get to him, and if he's willing, buy him some chicken tacos here in Cafe 43 or get him something to drink. Amen. What a great, what a great story. God, God works. That's <laughs> amazing. So I look forward to getting to know him a little more. Have you a family heirloom or possession that means something of great value to you? I'm sure all of us could answer that question. There's some things in your homes. There's pictures. There's things that you that you value or that you protect. This box that is here uh, that I brought from my office holds something in it that is very, very valuable to me. And I would consider it uh, a special possession. I would consider it like an heirloom. When I graduated from California State University of Bakersfield in 1996, I was living with my father-in-law at the time and there was a lot of people from the church that came over and celebrated that. It was a big deal to me. I was the first one in my family to graduate from college. Uh, a lot of people, you know, said that wouldn't be done. That was not really our thing. We were kind of hardworking, common folk. My grandfather was hard worker, uh, worked in the cotton fields, worked in the fields. He just, he was a hard worker. So this meant something not only to me, but it, it meant something to him as well. And so we were there, and there were gifts being given, and uh, I was gifted a Chevy S10 truck. My wife and my father-in-law went together and bought a truck for me, and that was, that was pretty cool because I was driving this, this Ford, this old Ford truck with a camper on it. Uh, didn't have air conditioning in Bakersfield, California, and so it was, it was pretty miserable. Uh, so this was definitely an upgrade. <laughs> I mean, this was a new vehicle, new car smell, and not that rattle trap, gas guzzling, old looking thing uh, with a camper. I don't even know what possessed me to buy it. It must have been the salesman that roped me into that. He told me all the things and how cool I'd look driving it. Far, far from it. Anyway, so they gave me a this truck, and so that was fantastic. So after going outside and coming back inside, my grandfather gave me his gift. It was very, very emotional. It was wrapped up in a box. I opened it, and the gift that he gave me was this Bible that's on the bottom of these Bibles. Uh, it was his Bible that he used for many, many years, and it is well-worn. There's notes. It's, it's barely held together. Uh, and that was his gift to me. And it was, it's, it's really something from him that I will value and cherish as you thumb through the pages. And you can see where he spent a lot of time in some scriptures. Um, so this Bible has sentimental value, but not only because of the sentimental value, but because of what it represents and what it is to me and what it is to us. The scripture 
is powerful and it's trustworthy to apply to our lives. I'm thankful for the Word of God. Amen. I'm thankful for its ability to direct us and guide us. In this passage of Scripture, we read some sayings that Jesus is talking about bread and he's talking about his blood and drinking. And people that were listening to this thought he was talking about some kind of cannibalism. And he's making this link between Moses and manna. And he's talking about himself. And I am the bread that comes down from heaven. And it caused a lot of consternation on those that were listening to the point that some walked away. This is too hard of a saying, they said. Jesus turned to his disciples and he looked at them and he said, Will you go away also? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Peter recognized something different. We can't go anywhere else because this is the one that is given to us words of eternal life. May not understand completely exactly what you're talking about. Jesus was talking about his body that would be broken. It would be crucified, his blood that would be shed. And he was talking about the communion service in which we can identify with his blood and with his body and that would bring strength to us and there's eternal significance to that and Peter recognized he's the one I need to turn to, go to because he has the words of eternal life. There's a lot of people looking for a lot of things but I want to tell you Jesus is the one that has the words of eternal life and his word brings power and strength and encouragement and edification to us. Amen. Amen. Throughout history, the Lord preserved Scripture. It has survived wars, kings, and idols, exile of the Jewish people, and critics who desire its extinction. Yet we know of its power to preserve us in the face of adversity and depression and temptation and disease. It gives to us guidance. It provides to us encouragement. It brings to us salvation. It brings to us healing. Have you ever been in a moment and you didn't know which way to go? Your back was against the wall. You didn't know which way to turn. Catch 22. And all of a sudden, a word from the Lord came to your mind and gave you the ability and the strength to say, I didn't know how I was going to get through this, but the word of God came through at the right moment and the right time and elevated me and gave me power and strength. Hallelujah, I was praying tonight, and I said, and you are wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and you are the Prince of Peace that brings strength to me. I need the peace of God. I need the strength of God. I need the counsel of God. Hallelujah, I want him to do wonderful things. The Word of God is all of those things. To us, Jesus gave spiritual meaning to the passage. We have read it was not natural things. And this caused many to leave because of his words. But it caused the disciples to stay with him because of his words. The word of God is going to cause you either to leave or to cleave. I'm cleaving to the word of God. <laughs> There's going to be critics and naysayers that are going to reject the word of God. But what they reject is salvation and redemption. I'm cleaving to the word of God because I recognize the word of God is very, very valuable to my spiritual walk. Amen. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16 said, All Scripture 
is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The Word of God is a God-breathed thing. God breathed His Word into existence. And He still, I believe He still speaks to us from His Word. I don't view this as something that's just put in a case and put on a shelf, but it's never opened, that has no power, has no ability. No, I spend some time every single day in the Word of God because I recognize this thing is valuable to me. If I'm going to live for God, I've got to know what his word is. If I'm going to be saved by God, I need to know what salvation is and means. And the only way that you can get at that is if you get in the word. Praise God. We need a revival of getting into the scripture. And so let's talk about a few things about the word of God here tonight. Let's talk about the origin of the Old Testament. The Bible is the word of God, and it reveals God's plan. The Old Testament contains the story of God's creation of the world and his relationship with his people and points to the coming Savior. The scripture that I quoted to you about him being wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace was pointing to the coming Messiah. The Old Testament is a a narrative of that creation and that relationship and that coming Savior. John, here's some verses that we need to look up together. John chapter 5 and verse 39. We'll read several verses out of John chapter 5, but listen to this. Jesus said, John chapter 5 and verse 39, search the scriptures. Everyone say, search the scriptures. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. I, I found it significant in talking to Philip as he talked about his experience that he started going to. Where was he going to try to find? People didn't understand that. So where was he going to go to try to figure out what happened to him at an age of 9 or 10? He started looking into the scripture. And he told me here tonight, he said, and I got to the book of Acts and then service started. So I didn't, I didn't get a chance to ask him about what, what was significant in the book of Acts. I know what's significant. The Holy Ghost was poured out on the day of Pentecost, and in Acts chapter 2, 8, 10, and 19, people spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave utterance, and the Holy Ghost established himself in the lives of individuals and that early church. Hallelujah. And it's not just for them, but it's for us today. Amen. Praise God. Search the Scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Looking down to verse 46. For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. So he's, he's talking about no, Moses. Jesus is going back to the Old Testament, and he is, he is giving the Old Testament credibility because he's talking about Moses and saying that Moses pointed toward Jesus. There was one called Moses, but there's one greater among us. And the one greater was Jesus. But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? Who does the scripture testify of? We read those two verses. Who does the scripture testify of? Verse 39, the scriptures testify of me, me being Jesus. Who did Moses write about? Verse 46, for had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. Moses wrote of Jesus. Our faith 
is established in something. If you're going to have faith, it has to be connected to an object. Nobody believes faith in faith. There's faith in an object. It's okay to have faith. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. You hope for it. You may not see it, but you believe it. But it's connected to an object. Faith is in an object. And faith is in Jesus. And faith is in the word of God. This is what determines our convictions. The scripture. We have 66 books in the Old Testament. And they were written over hundreds of years. 66 books of the entire scripture. 39 books of the Old Testament. Shared by Jewish and Christian believers. And so these 39 books have, have become a, a, a strength, a uh, depository of truth that, that allows individuals to put their faith in and to believe in. Moses is traditionally credited with what is called the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. When Moses dies, Joshua continues the pattern that Moses exemplifies. In Joshua chapter 24 and verse number 26, and Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law and took a great stone and set it up there under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. He wrote these words. The, the things that happened, he wrote them in a book of the law of God. When Joshua passed off the scene, Samuel continued the same example in 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 25. Then Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. Other individuals in, in these 39 books of the Old Testament. Other individuals wrote, both named and unnamed. They spake as the Holy Ghost moved on them. The Holy Ghost moved on them. Kings commissioned scribes to record the details of their kingdom reigns. And so those things were inscribed and written. Prophets challenged the people to live right. God made a covenant with us. We need to be right with God. And so the prophets wrote down those challenges to the people to live in covenant with God. By the time of the New Testament, the 39 books of the Old Testament had been established as Holy Scripture. And Jesus affirms them on several occasions. He makes reference. We read where he made reference to Moses. And so he validates the Old Testament because by the time of the New Testament, the Old Testament was considered to be the Holy Scriptures. One significant place in which Jesus does this is Matthew chapter 23, verse 35, and Luke chapter 11, verse 51. They're the same verse, Luke eleven fifty-one. 51, for the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, which perished between the altar and the temple. Verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. So in saying that, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zacharias, He's going from the very beginning book to the very ending book. And in that statement, he is identifying the Old Testament. Jesus' death would be the ultimate sacrifice to salvation and would lead us into the New Testament era. So those, those are the origins of the Old Testament. We just mentioned that that was solidified and then the New Testament comes along. God speaks to holy men. And he preserves his word for future generations. 
The New Testament contains the story of how Jesus redeemed us and established the church. And its letters give direction to God's people on how we should live in covenant with him. It's not an Old Testament that's talking about a covenant with the children of Israel, but it's a new covenant that's talking about the church and its covenant to God and, and the patterns that we should take on, the convictions that we should have, our establishment in the world that God calls us to be holy and separated. We get all of this from the new covenant and a passage of scripture that will help us understand that significance is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 through 21. Amen. I'll give you a moment to turn there in your Bible. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 19. Brother Garrett, we'll make you the example for everybody. Are you there? Amen. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. Here it is. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. How is the word of prophecy described? Verse number 19, we have a more sure word of prophecy. No prophecy of the scripture is of what? Verse number 20, private interpretation. How did holy men of God speak? They spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Amen. God came to the earth as a stranger. From a heavenly vantage point, he could see across galaxies and he could also see in the human heart. He became flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And there is so much to that. We don't have time to completely get to that because we're talking about the word of God. But John said the word became flesh. Jesus became flesh so that he could walk in, as a stranger, as a stranger, walk in the same scenarios and difficulties of life experience that we experience. He's a high priest that has felt the infirmities of our feelings. He knows what it is. You don't serve a God here tonight that doesn't know what you go through. You serve a God that walked in the shoes of humanity. He knows every struggle. He knows every pain. He knows every difficulty, but he became the lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. He was the high priest and the lamb at the same time. I'm glad to know that he knows exactly what I face and where I am and what I go through because it makes the sacrifice more meaningful. If he doesn't understand me, then the sacrifice is not as great but if he goes to Calvary because he knows the human condition then that makes me understand that he is a God that understood the power of his own sacrifice hallelujah amen the New Testament provides four biographies of Jesus three of them are called the synoptic gospels because they match in wording and chronology 
If you take the Synoptic Gospels, you can actually buy a Synoptic Gospel in which you can see Matthew, Mark, and Luke side by side, and you can see how similar that they are. John is a maverick. John is presenting a gospel, the gospel in a different way. Matthew and John were eyewitnesses. Mark and Luke provide researched accounts and interviews, and Luke continues the account of Jesus into the Acts of the early church. And Luke links that Joel prophecy to the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, and Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost and says unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Does not that verse just bring some strength and life to you whenever it is read? It never, ever gets old. Praise God. It never gets old. The New Testament closes with the book of Revelation. But before we ever get to the book of Revelation... The growth of that church introduces us to Paul and the reach to non-Jews. The man who wanted letters that would serve as death sentences would become a prolific writer and write letters to the churches. Man, God does some pretty miraculous things. <laughs> Paul had a, a, a life in which he persecuted the church and yet God turns him around and makes him a powerhouse. And in this building here tonight, there are individuals that God has taken your life and he's turned things around. And he does miraculous things. He's still in the business of doing signs, wonders, and miracles. And here Paul is. He's writing letters to the churches. And those letters still shape the Christian faith and practice today. They still shape the Christian faith and practice the New Testament ends with the book of Revelation. It's an apocalyptic book. It's full of symbolism, and it's written to encourage troubled Christians and to give them hope in the midst of persecution and difficulties. Although God still speaks to each and every one of us, everything that we hear from the Lord must align itself with the Scripture. Whatever we think we hear from God must be congruent with the Word of God. God spoke to me, and he told me, and you can run a, a long list of things. But if it doesn't measure up with what's in the word of God, then something is not right there because the alignment is, is not right. Whatever I feel like God is speaking to me, I'm going to run it through the filter of the word of God. And, and if, it doesn't, if it doesn't work with the word of God, then, then, then something's wrong. <laughs> I'm, I'm not hearing from God. I'm, I'm, hearing from, I'm hearing from the enemy. I'm hearing from the accuser of the brethren. I may even he be hearing from my own flesh. But my, my, my connection and my definition can't be on what I think or what others think or even what I dream. My connection has to be anchored in the word of God. I'm telling you the scripture can anchor you through every situation.
situation, the vicissitudes of life, the ups and the downs, the difficulties, if you stay anchored to the word of God, you're going to make it. You're going to make it through. You're going you're gonna to walk through the fiery furnace. You're going to see walls fall down. You're going to make it through the Red Sea of difficulties in your life if the word of God is what's anchoring you and strengthening you. I find we're moving farther and farther away from the word of God. We want more entertainment. And when I say we, I'm just talking about the religious world in general because we're moving away from the scripture. All of a sudden now we can make it, we, we, can, we can make it like a, a dog on its hind legs. Whatever we want it to do, we can make it do. Listen, the word of God has to be something that speaks to us and whether or not it hurts or not, it's the word of God. There's validity. There's there's trustworthiness to it. I'm not trusting my flesh. I'm not trusting the world. I'm not trusting the, the accuser of the brethren. I'm trusting the word of God. And I'm putting my confidence in it. Amen. Praise God. And so that's a, that's a significant point right there, trusting in the word of God. All scripture comes from God and is the basis for our spiritual growth and maturity. And we can trust that the Bible is the word of God, powerful and alive to direct us today. What's a great verse that will bear that out? Second Timothy chapter three, verse 16 and 17. We've mentioned it in passing, but let's take a moment now to read it again for ourselves. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 16 and 17. All scripture, everyone say all scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. What are some of the purposes of the scripture? Well, it's profit profitable for doctrine, reproof, Correction, instruction, and righteousness. How does the scripture complete us that we may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works? The more we know of the scripture, the more that we're able to apply the scripture to our lives. And how does this passage give you confidence in the validity of the Bible? Well, the more you start applying the scripture to your life, you start seeing the value of it. You start seeing the power of it. You start seeing the strength of it. You start seeing the ethos of it or the ethics of it. You start applying it to your life and you find that there is a strength in it. When we approach the Bible and we trust in the word of God, there's several things that take place. Number one, you have to have faith in the word of God. There, there's some other intellectual things that you can study about the validity of the word of God. But first of all, you have to have faith in the scripture. I can spend a lot of intellectual exercises, may not cover everything, but I know this, my faith and confidence is in the scripture. And so my faith is there. The second thing is the canonization of the scripture. A canon, the canon, the 66 books that we have is the canon. The canon means the measuring rod. And so this Bible that we have with 66 book books, there were standards that existed for a book to make it in the canon. And that happened over hundreds 
of years. It wasn't like somebody just said, well, I'm just going to look at all these ancient books and manuscripts, and there are, there's many manuscripts. Some are in full. Some are in uh, incomplete form. Some are even scraps, papri. There's all kinds of uh, fragments of the Scripture. But somebody just didn't take a pen and just write that out. There was a, there was a process, and God was in that process over hundreds of years to put together what is the canon of the Scripture, what we have, what we know as the Bible or what we know as the Scripture. So my faith is important. The understanding of how the Bible came to be, the canonization of it, the standard or the rule that, that allowed some books to be in it and some not. If you've ever read some of the apocryphal books, uh, the Catholics include the Apocrypha in their scripture, but for most uh, Protestants, they don't put the, the Apocrypha in it. But you can read Apocryphal books like 1st, 2nd, 3rd Maccabees, which is more history. You can read about Bell and the Dragon, which has to do with Daniel's day. And, but when you read them, some people say, well, you shouldn't read any Apocryphal books because that may throw your faith. Actually, it strengthens your faith because when you read them, they, there's just something off. <laughs> there's something too fantastic. There's something too sensational in them. And that standard or that rule over hundreds of years in a process of figuring out that canon and what books make it into the Holy Scriptures, those books have been discriminated against. The Gospel of Thomas, uh, these are deuterocanonical books. They're written by people. It's not really Thomas, but it's somebody that wrote the book and said it was the gospel of Tom. So there's all these ancient manuscripts, and yet there are 66 books that make it into what is the canon. And there was a measuring rod. There was a standard that established that. So I can trust in the scripture because I know, first of all, my faith is in the scripture. Second of all, there was a process that produced something that weeded out and discriminated across hundreds of years what is really, truly fitting into the narrative of God's story to humanity and what books were removed from that equation because they didn't measure up. The third thing that helps me trust the word of God is archaeology and the evidence of it is staggering. And I'm just going to give you one example. I was able to go to Israel and Israel, they have things called tells. They're, 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 they look like hills. They're mounds. And archaeologists, when they go in, they start dissecting it like a cake. They'll cut into the tail, and they'll start dissecting it. And what they'll see is it looks like there's la like layers of a cake. And they'll start uh, researching that, and they'll see there's civilization on top of civilization on top of civilization on top of civilization. When you stand at Megiddo, you are standing on a... A settlement of 20, 20 layers, 20 layers of settlements dating from 5,000 to 350 B.C. And what that indicates, there have been multiple rounds of destruction and rebuilding until it was finally abandoned. Artifacts and ruins at Megiddo are consistent with biblical descriptions of the site 
excavations unearthed a seal that mentions King Jeroboam II, which is found in 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 23 through 25, and his servant Shema. The seal also identifies gates Solomon ordered built for the protection of Hazor, Gezer, and Megiddo in 1 Kings chapter 9 and verse number 15. Twenty civilizations on top of one another, going all the way back into Old Testament times. So archaeology is another reason why I can know that the scripture is trustworthy. The most striking discovery made uh, at Megiddo was by an inmate by the name of Rommel Razillo at the Maximum Security Megiddo Prison. He discovered ruins of a Christian church dating to the 3rd century A.D. So again, remember, 20 layers. If you go way down to Jeroboam's day, you're talking probably, I don't know how many layers down that is from, a, from maybe a bottom layer. That's going way, way back into the Old Testament. But this particular individual, we're talking about 3rd century layer. And what he found is a portion of a church that included a 16 by 32 mosaic floor containing a dedication inscription which mentions the God Jesus, the God Jesus Christ. The description, the God Jesus, which is pretty fascinating because the early church believed that Jesus was God. So the God Jesus Christ explains that. Luke chapter 24 and verse 52, we know that. We're apostolic, so we know that. The early church was convinced that Jesus was God. What this confirms, there was a rapid spread of the church. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says what? You shall be witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, the uttermost parts of the earth. This was not in Jerusalem. This was in the third century, and it was in Megiddo, and there was a church there with an inscription on the floor that this prisoner of this prison unearthed this in archaeology digs, found a mosaic that had this inscription on it. They were able to date it back to that particular time frame. So archaeology, faith, the canonization of the scripture, Archaeology, and it, it goes on and on and on when you get in Israel because you're seeing stuff that dates all the way back to Abraham. Abraham's well, the, the city where Abraham dwelt, and it just goes on and on and on. So there are many, many reasons why the Bible stands firmly fixed and it still speaks to us. This is what's so powerful about Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12. For the word of God is quick. And powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The Bible is powerful and brings strength to us. And that brings us to our last point here tonight as musicians come. And uh, Brother McAllister, it's just you. That will be fine. We don't need singers here tonight as we conclude tonight. We not only believe in the validity of the word of God, but we daily seek to apply it to our lives. It provides direction, correction, and strength for facing every single Day. This is one of the reasons why Psalm 119, the entire Psalm 119 is, is categorized and organized in a particular way. If you've got your Bibles and you turn there, Psalm 119, and you look at it, you're going to see something there. You're going to see the Hebrew alphabet, and it's categorized 
119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. And every single verse, every single verse has to do with the statutes of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord. Every single verse, every single one, 109. And so it's categorized by the Aleph, the Beit, the Gimel, the Daleth, the Hay, the Wow, the Zion, the Cheth, the Teth. It's all categorized there. You got to really clear your throat when you do the Cheth. Okay. Just be careful. Okay. Just be careful. Uh, and the psalmist, as he's writing this, Psalm 119, verse 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches, all riches. Your word to me is is better than riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a, hmm, it's a light unto my path. It leads me, it directs me. Why did the psalmist hide God's word in his heart? Verse 11, that I might not sin against thee. Why does he compare God's word? What does he compare God's word to for giving him direction? A light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. What are some practical ways that you can hide the word of God in your heart? This is why Bible quizzing is so powerful because you're memorizing it. You're putting it in your heart. And though you may not have the word right in front of you, you've got it in your heart. Amen. The scripture is not just an intellectual exercise. I've got to apply it. If you don't know what it says, it's hard to apply. So I must read it, spend time in it. Others know it. They can tell you every chapter and verse, but they don't apply it. Israel's a classic example. 1 Corinthians 10, 11, Now all these things happened to them for end samples, for they are written for admission, upon the whom the ends of the world are come. Israel forgot some of the things that they knew, and they failed to apply it to their lives. Amen. And then the only Bible that some people will ever know is you. Stop and think about that. Not too far removed in our history as a nation, we were pretty biblically literate. We are not anymore. People don't. You need to be careful with turn to chapter and verse. They don't even know what a chapter is. They don't even know what a verse is. They don't have access to the word because they just don't know it. And if they don't know it, the only way they're ever going to get to know it is by watching you. What's significant about you? Why do you do what you do? There's a depth to you. What is that? And they become curious and inquisitive. And then that leads into an introduction to God's goodness. And I feel the Holy Ghost in this place here tonight. God's mercy and God's grace. And all of a sudden, the only epistle that they will ever read is the epistle that you, that you exemplify and that you live out. 
How are you ever going to do that? You're going to do that because you spend time in the word and you apply it and that becomes part of your life. And people recognize the power and the inspiration that is in you because of that application. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 2, you are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. Amen. Those who doubt the word of God, they should try living by its precepts. But in any case, in any case, Psalm 34 and verse number eight says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. I want to taste and see that God is good. Praise God. Anybody have a testimony tonight that God is good? Hallelujah. Oh, taste and see. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. In conclusion here tonight, some of the classic reasons for believing the Bible to be a trustworthy source of Jewish and Christian history, divinely given theology and ethics, and a collection of masterpieces of religious literature. What are some of those classic reasons? One, the astonishing amount of archaeological corroboration of the kinds of details in the Bible that can be tested. It grows steadily with each generation. The theological unity of Scripture, even amid all of its diversity, enables readers of all 66 books to discern a coherent narrative plot and profound wisdom. Listen, listen. Do you think you could get do you think you could get a group to agree on, on anything nowadays? Find any expert in any field, and you're going to find there's differences of opinion, and nobody comes to any kind of an agreement. And yet somehow in the Scripture, over the course of hundreds of years, from Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, there is a strength of what God is doing in the world that can be trusted an entire story that explains human nature from its origins to its final destiny. No anthology of literature in the history of the world even attempts to undertake all three of these tasks simultaneously. Amen. Don't let the Word of God just sit on a shelf. Praise God. Find opportunity every single day. Fifteen minutes a day can bring a lot of strength to you. Praise God. Fifteen minutes a day. It, study it. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Put it in your heart. Put away some other things that become distractions and say, God, I want you to speak to me. I want you to speak to me. Somebody was talking to me about Scripture and and talking about decisions that they make in life and circumstances in life and the will of God and how the will of God works. And it was a great conversation. And, and we arrived at the conclusion of this. Some things that you know to do every single day, like reading the scripture and spending time there, you'll never know the significance and the impact of it 
until something happens down the road and then it comes time to make a decision and you make a decision, Brother Brock, based on what you've been doing all the time leading you up to that decision and it's connected to the Word of God. And so you got to make a decision. But how do I make a decision? I make a decision because I reach back and I'm connected to His Word. <laughs> And his word helps me do the will of God so that when I look back over my life, I say, I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what I was going through. Didn't know how it was all going to work out. But, but I knew I was in the will of God because his word spoke to me and his spirit directed me and guided me. Praise God. Praise God. Help us as we stand together tonight. Help us deepen our commitment to the word of God. Let our minds be open to the truth of scripture. Parents, listen to me, please, 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 please. I plead with you, I beg of you. You got to train your children to have a hermeneutic. Hermeneutic means interpreting the scripture. You have to teach your children to have a hermeneutic of acceptance instead of a hermeneutic of suspicion. That is the number one duty in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Talk about it. Hero is to the Lord our God is one. Talk about it. When you walk by the way, when you sit down, develop in your children a, an interpretation of the scripture that is accepting of the scripture. In any literature, anybody that knows anything about literature and they study it and they examine it, they will tell you in order to understand the literature, you have to have an, exception, an acceptance of the literature to understand the literature make a decision of whatever, whatever it is that you're studying. But our world is very, very full of a hermeneutic of suspicion. You send your kids to public school, you're going to have to do your due diligence because what they get hit with is a hermeneutic of suspicion. There's really not anything to that. It's a bunch of myths, a bunch of stories, not connected to anything. It's not of any real value. And that's a struggle they have to face every single day. They go to higher education, they're really going to get hit with it. Even again, somewhere, there's got to be the ability of a parent, a mom, a dad, life experiences, an understanding and a hunger for the Word of God and the anointing of God that develops a hermeneutic of acceptance acceptance. See, from a hermeneutic of acceptance, I can dig into things that I can look at a lot of, a lot of stuff that, that some of you would not even be interested in. Textual criticism, higher criticism, form criticism, how all this works, miracles in the Bible, historical Jesus, the quest for Jesus, all this kind of stuff. I, if, if I go into that stuff with a hermeneutic of suspicion, I'm not going to come out of that unscathed at all. But if I come from the scripture, of a hermeneutic of acceptance there's a lot of things may come my way but I'm anchored to something that's stronger than any questions any confusion that comes my way anybody tries to shake me out of it I'm not going to be shaken because the word is a rock and it's an anchor and it's a strength amen as apostolics We've got to make the scripture the forefront and the center of everything that we do. Don't wait until it's too late. Amen. Open the scripture up in the morning. Open the scripture up with your family. I mean, you don't have to start in numbers. <laughs> start in the Psalms. Find a psalm. Every every once in a while, somebody will somebody will just text me. 
they'll text me their morning devotion verse that they read or why because they're being nourished by it strengthened by it amen praise god let's pray together lord help us have a healthy commitment to your word i thank you and praise you i love you we live in trying difficult times and if we've ever needed to draw closer to your word and your ability and to know that it is trustworthy. I can put my confidence, my mind needs to be open to the scripture. I want you to speak to me from your word. I want to spend time in it, O Lamb of God. It's not something that's dead, but it's a living word that is able to bring life and strength to me. Amen. I pray that you would touch every family and home. I pray that the Bible doesn't sit on the shelf somewhere, just becomes some other book. But I pray it's something that is alive and powerful and, and inspiring and passionate that helps us to make decisions in life and draws us closer to you and reveals how great you are to us. Amen. We ask these things in Jesus' name. We pray in Jesus' name. We pray. Praise God. Everybody thankful for the scripture. Hallelujah. I don't think there's anything wrong with digital Bibles, iPads, phones, but I will say this, you need a